And welcome back to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. We are at episode 10. I can't believe we've made it there. AP, what about you? Uh, it's it's a crazy thought that we've made it 10 episodes and we didn't get bored or it get, it fall off based on schedule. So that's pretty sweet. Let's keep it going. Consistency is the key. Just fighting through the fatigue of uh, having to get on calls with you. Yeah, it's true. Oh, it's just another Zoom call. Add it to the calendar. <laughs> but this one, I mean, we, we are a couple days late on this one, but, you know, it is, we're still getting it done. Exactly. As long as it comes out before the end of the week, we're still consistent. So it's almost like our golf games. Some yeah. weeks we're shooting our handicap. Some weeks we aren't. So, yeah, 10 episodes, 200 downloads we're going to have after this episode. I'm sure we're at 190 right now. So thank you to everybody who has supported us so far. We appreciate the support. And, um, yeah, we'll keep on doing this as long as people are listening. So keep on listening. Probably if they don't listen. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep on going after that also. So, um, any news on the golf game? I think you got a tournament coming up this weekend. Yeah, no, no news on the golf game other than the annual Ogopogo Invitational that I have no chance of winning because it's a handicap tournament and everyone in it is between a 10 and a 20 something. So, I'm just gonna go, uh, drink. That's what happens driver. when you're a four handicap. Yeah. Don't be tried jealous to, of us tried tens. To pump it up, man. I tried to pump it up and it still didn't go up. So clearly didn't try hard enough. No, but it'll be fun. It's a good one. Get to play Shoe Shop National on Friday or tomorrow, first round. I may or may not have played it on Monday in a little practice round and the greens had been punched the week before and they were shaggy. So I'm hoping that they're back to their regular spectacular levels by tomorrow. And then we're Saturday yeah, and Sunday. That's it, man. Uh, the Bear at okay. Okanagan Golf Club. Mm-hmm. And then finish it off, per usual, at the Rise. Ooh. That's like your home course almost this year. Pretty much. I've probably played that course more than any course in the Okanagan. So you'll be primed for Sunday. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what tees we're playing, too. Because if we're playing the Whites... I might just leave the driver at home. Yeah, it gets real short and everything becomes reachable even with three wood. Well, and the thing is, like, the thing I'm worried about is, like, the rise and even some at Shushwap where, you know, you got to cut corners or you got to hit it, you know, over a specific target. I'm used, like, at the rise, for example, on number five, like, I know what club I need to hit normally. So it's like, okay, how far do I hit it from whatever tees we're playing from and what line do I hit it on now? Yeah, the only advice I have for you, if you're playing the up tees, pick a club and commit to it. Don't start trying to guide the ball around the golf course because that leads to bad things. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like five is like we play it from the back and it's like, okay, you know, five wood-ish over the barber pole, maybe a little bit right of it. You're good. Playing from the whites, it's like, is it over the barber pole still or is it a six iron off the tee? Is it a... Yeah, I don't know, man. It's interesting. I should have gone and done a little research beforehand, but it'll be fun. So Yeah. Always a good time when you can get the boys together. Yep. All right. So a lot happened last week between headlines and the actual golf itself. Um, I wanted to start off with a bit of a scandal that took place at the LPGA Q School. Um, over the weekend, there was allegations of cheating that had occurred on 
the 12th and 16th hole in a group that included Gabby Lemieux and Abby Daniels. So what ended up happening was um, Gabby Lemieux had noticed that Abby Daniel um, was marking her ball on the side of her ball when she'd go up to the green. And then when she would replace the ball, she would put it in front of her coin. So she had notified her caddy, which is her husband, and then she had notified her playing partner also of the allegations. Things got a little bit swirlier even after the round, after everything had come out. They had assessed two-stroke penalty for those two holes against um, Daniel. After the round, Lemieux gets to her car, sits there, checks the scores, and says, crap, I signed an improper scorecard. So not only was there a cheating scandal, but there was also a DQ because of an improperly signed scorecard. Yeah, snitches get stitches. <laughs> Is that a bit of karma or what? I think a little bit. I mean, I get I get the rules and all that. And I, I don't know if half an inch of ball placement makes a difference. Maybe it does for them. It definitely doesn't for us. But I mean, you got to play by the rules, so I get it. It's just interesting that <clears throat> like she called her out on it twice. And then ends up. Well, that was a, that was a part that Daniel was kind of pissed about in a letter that she wrote to a Monday Morning Qualifier um, in regards to the incident. She said she was not notified at all. So Lemieux just let the playing partner know and the two caddies, but never let Daniel know of what she had been witnessing. So she was hovering around the cut line and she thought she had a three shot cushion going into 18. Nobody had notified her rules. Official comes in on 16. Um, Lemieux asked them to watch her for the last two holes or three holes, I guess. And um, nothing was ever said to her until she got to the scoring tent. They ended up figuring out the stories um, and she got assessed two stroke penalty, still made it on to the next stage, stage two of Q school um, by one stroke. But like to not notify the playing partner, that's what I'm looking at. Like, how are you yeah, giving for her sure. a heads I up? think that that's where the karma comes in then on that. I mean, you're all, all four like calling out the infraction, but like make sure you tell the person who's doing it. Don't go tattletale behind their back <laughs> later. You know what I mean? Don't call it in off TV. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you're playing with this person the whole time and you're having these conversations about her, but you're not willing to say anything. That was the part that I got fed up with in the story. And it was, yeah, it was just funny how she ends up getting DQ'd or DQing herself because of an improper scorecard. Yeah. The epitome of asking her what's wrong and her saying nothing, it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing. It was, it was almost like, and reading the letter that Daniel wrote, she also put that kind of in the end where it was a situation where she thought that Lemieux was hoping that she would keep on doing it so that she would keep on getting strokes assessed. So she would miss the cut line. And she was so proud of calling out a cheater and then getting DQ'd on it. Like she put on social media, Oh, I caught a cheater red handed. It's like, Let's settle down here. It wasn't like she was taking improper drops or like moving a foot closer to the hole. It was like it wasn't Patrick reading it. (laughs) Exactly. And stealing from people. But uh, the other part, too, is the DQ for the improper scorecard. I I almost feel like that should be an outdated rule. And as long as a person rectifies it before the start of the next round, 
or even that evening, like there should be some leeway there, especially with digital scoring nowadays, um, following players. I just, I don't know if it's just me or if it's going to change the integrity. of the No, you make make a great point. I mean, scorecards are almost irrelevant at this point. And to have someone discontinued or discontinued, disqualified over a manual process that is obsolete seems ridiculous. Yeah, I just there's there's too many times where people's livelihoods in these sorts of situations are on the line. She had not made the cut by a long shot. I think she ended up being seven strokes out of making the second stage. But it's not this one incident. It's kind of a holistic incident. We hear about it probably once a month. Somebody getting DQ for an improper scorecard. Yeah, it. We were watching on TV. There's digital recording of it all. They know what everyone's scores are. There's scoreboards. Like, there's no point to have an actual handwritten scorecard yeah. other than because this is how we've always done it. The purists need the pencil on the paper. The purists. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the PGA purists. It's stupid. Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, just go and play the game and there's people keeping score like in any other sport in any other sport they're not keeping their own score so why would they keep that in golf and then to punish you for making a mistake over the course of four hours i will say the one thing that pops into my mind is that pga canada uh, scandal that popped up, I think it was last month, where the guy fudged his score by two strokes, took the scorecard back from the guy who was scorekeeping him, took two strokes off, ends up making the cut. He gets caught, runs away, never to be seen again. That's the one time. But again, it's a, another manual scoring mistake that ends up happening. Right. Like a lot of tours also have the guys who are walking with the group scorekeeping um anyways with the scoreboard so i like you kind of have not only redundancy but also digital scoring and all the other things that we've been able to evolve in sports so yeah yeah the the handwritten scorecard needs to go away like that's just like got to evolve it was just a funny little series of events between the calling the cheating out the way that it was called out and then being dq'd on the back end just like you couldn't script it any better Exactly. All right. Let's hop over to the DP World Tour. They had their final stop before the European Ryder Cup team's captain's picks had to be in. Um, And I think coming out of that tournament, the result may have pushed one of the players into a Ryder Cup spot. Although, from my perspective and who I called out, I already had him on my list just because I was looking at youth over anything else and uh, keeping yeah. some young guys in the mix. But um, Aberg ends up pulling it out, um, minus 19, followed by Bjork at minus 17, Fitzpatrick, Matt, um, at minus 16, and then Alex Fitzpatrick having another top five finish at minus 15. Impressive final round by Aberg. Shoots a 64 and uh, ended up pulling away a little bit um, in the final few holes. Any thoughts you got on his performance, anything coming out of that tournament? No, I think it, it's an interesting storyline. I mean, the kid's hot right now and he's, you know, his his stock is rising. So I think it he's the first person to ever play or to make a Ryder Cup team without having played in a major. 
correct? Um, which is really cool. I think, you know, we, we did our picks. I picked Aaron Rye kind of as a joke, but, you know, Aberg, I kind of had a feeling Aberg was going to be there. And it goes back to my joke about, like, the guy I always see from the European team on TV is Rye. But, you know, from the the armchair person, you know, Aberg was getting talked about. You kind of, I, I kind of just had a feeling he was going to make it if he played well. And then he went and won and just kind of locked it up. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. I mean, Moronk not making it. I mean, it's been going around. Everyone's, you know, all the talking heads are, you know, putting their opinions in there. I think the only thing that he, I think he got screwed and, you know, there's guys that are, you know, let's say playing as well, or, you know, they're all kind of, putting up numbers and performing. But I think the the nearsighted part of that decision was not bringing the, the reigning champ at the Italian Open on the course you're about to play. Yes, I will agree with that side of things. However, my stance after I did a little bit more digging on what Moronk has done this year on the PGA Tour, as well as on the DP World Tour, my stance started to change. And the reason for it is I look at his results on PGA Tour events. Bermuda Open, miscut. Genesis, T45, Honda, T14. Then he goes, Arnold Palmer, miscut. Masters, miscut. PGA Championship, T40, RBC Canadian Open miscut, US Open miscut, Scottish Open miscut, and a T23 at the Open. And then you look at, and I was just looking purely at um, Moronk versus Hogard, because I think those two were the ones that were matching up head to head. And you look at his results, he has three miscuts. His results were on par with what Moronk was able to do, if not better, in a lot of those same tournaments. And he's fared better in PGA Tour events. So that's where I kind of looked at it. When you looked at it from the outside and you just point to, oh, he's had good results. He's played well on the DP World Tour. Um, He's won at the Italian Open. I go, okay, but he's also, the other thing that I looked at too is he's 30 versus 22 for Hogarth. And same thing with Avery, he's 20. So I'm going like, if I had to pick, I think, they're going with bringing the youth along versus bringing a guy who maybe he might be able to auto-qualify and change his schedule for the next Ryder Cup. And that's how McIntyre got in was because he made a commitment to the DP World Tour in his own mind and played only a DP schedule where he was able to make up like 800 points while Moronk was over in the U.S. playing on the PGA. What about like a Moronk versus... Shane Lowry. I think Lowry's got some some clout there as far as he's been on past Ryder Cup teams. He's won a major. You stack their results against each other. Lowry's made more cuts. He's more consistent. He's a guy that I think everybody feels comfortable with as a teammate. I'm not saying that Moronk's a bad dude or whatever else. I just don't see that as being comparable. But I feel like you got a different perspective, so Fair. I'll let you. Lay no, I don't. I don't actually. I, I, I don't have a. I don't know enough about the European side of things to be honest, and I'm just looking at it like you know, Moronk's name's been getting tossed around since we started talking about it, and then I, 
there's got to be a lot. Of, I put a lot of weight in like this is the dude who won on this course most recently. And, you know, having watched the Peter Finch video of him playing that course, it's probably a good thing to have guys who know how to beat it. But, yeah, no, I, I think there's there's less drama on the British team than there is on the American team. Now, I will say, yeah, and to bolt onto your point there, I think some decisions were made on both teams to keep the guys that they want to grow the game with appeased. And we, we talked about this yep. on the phone the other 100%. day. Yeah, where the JT Ricky picks almost felt like we would rather keep these guys happy, grow the game with them. They are they have been our faces. They're going to be our faces going forward. So we need these guys on the team. Whereas, and we promised them we could be on the team if they didn't go to live. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. And um, for their loyalty to the Shield. Yeah, and I think that yeah. that similar things happening here, where the DP World Tour saying, "Let's appease Hogard and we'll bring along Aberg because he could be the face of the European side for years to come." So they're almost betting on their future. And there's very few times in golf where you're able to, in essence, select the talent that you want to advance on. Right? Like most of the time, it is. Yeah. A meritocracy. You got to get through Q school. You got to get through the Corn Ferry uh, University standings now to get your card onto Corn Ferry. So all those things are in place. And very rarely do you get to like hand pick or select who you want the face of the franchise to be. Yep. Oh. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I, I agree. I just, I, the, the American one is, there's no way you can tell me that it wasn't live related. And I think it, that's why those decisions were made. And, you know, with, with Hoygaard and Aberg, I completely agree with them bringing in some young guns and keeping them and kind of boosting their stock a bit. But I don't necessarily think it was made as, as a thank you for not going to live situation, whereas the U.S. ones were 100% that reason. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with that. But it started to make it more clear yeah. after the European picks were made. I kind of wanted to brush it off, but then it like you just can't turn away from it after the European picks were made. Agreed. Agreed. So the final team for the European side, just to go through it, we got Aberg, Matt Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood, Hatton, Hogard, um, Hovland, Lowry, McIntyre, McElroy, Rom, Rose, Straka. So Overall, I think you got a lot of guys there that are in good form. Their top six are extremely strong. You toss in Estraka, who's been playing really well. Rosie, who's got a lot of experience and a winning record on in the Ryder Cup. Um, Fitzpatrick, who's won a major since the last time he's played in a Ryder Cup. Hovland, really coming on strong and turning into a dog like... This European side is scary. Yeah, I think it's it, it's going to... I'm going to make... I'm hot taking it right now, but it's going to be a blowout. You think so? It's going to be a bloodbath. Yep. I, I honestly think it is. I think... I, yeah, I wanted us to do a far to, too early pick on who we think wins. So That's my far too early pick. I'm thinking like... A, what's the total points they need? 28. Is the total points. Yeah. 
total points for the whole thing. I'm thinking we're like a 19 and a half to eight and a half <laughs> or like 17 and a half to 10 and a half level blowout. Okay. And I that's, think that's, that's pretty that's much where they point. landed the last time in Paris. It was like just same thing yeah. as what happened at whistling straits, just the other way around. It was like 17, 11, um, in both of those. So I think there's a lot of, uh, emotions from the last Ryder Cup too, just getting curb stomped at Whistling Straits. I think those European guys are looking for some redemption. Yeah, I think you know it's the seeing the way that course is set up right now, and like nipple high grass four yards off the fairway, and you know that course is set up. That's a match play course, and I just think it's going to be the accuracy of the European team that just takes the cake. I think it's it, I stand by my blowout comment. I think it, you know, so European team's going to get somewhere between 17 and 20 points. That's that's aggressive. I think it's going to be it a little bit closer. I think we're going to be looking at like a 16-12 sort of match. I I also have the Europeans winning. It's kind of funny because Vegas has the Europeans plus 150 um, after all the picks were made. So Vegas yeah. is not seeing this the same way that we're seeing. Yeah, well, they know better than we do, but yeah, I don't know, man. I I just have a sneaky suspicion it's going to be a, it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. So we both have the Europeans. We both have a lopsided victory for the Europeans. So we'll break it down over the coming weeks. I wanted to do a deeper dive on some yeah. historical Ryder Cups because, again, going back to the fact that the U.S. hasn't won in Europe in over 30 years, I want to do some of the more recent ones and break down, like, what have those teams look like? What were the teams two years before they the did US a, versus that they did a good one on no laying up. I listened to when I was driving to Calgary um, and they went through it and they could do a deep dive on like the Tom Watson team. And, and like, I think it was the year, the tournament before when they put Reed and, and Spieth together and they were, or maybe that was the Tom Watson team and they were just like on fire. So yeah, give that one a listen to. I know we're plugging someone else's, but whatever. I listen yeah. to it and they do a pretty good deep dive on that stuff. Also, while well, we're talking about the Ryder Cup and again, we got a couple of weeks, but if the golf documentary comes out again this year, just typically they do it like the week before. If you can watch it on the golf channel, the war by the shore about the 1991 Ryder Cup, that will get yep. you hyped for Friday's action. Um, when it comes around, it's a great documentary. Um, I hate watching the Mark Kelkovecchia claps down the stretch where he just hits a hooded <laughs> iron into the water. And then I think he does it again. And just like his career and his life never really recovered from that, even though they ended up pulling it out. Yeah. Um, it's a great watch. So I would highly recommend that the week coming up. I'll take a look. Oh, I also wanted to plug this too while we were talking about the. I was looking at the pairings for this week's Irish Open, and it was very interesting yeah. how you had Morong, who doesn't end up making the Ryder Cup team. They paired him in a what I think is strategic pairing with Rory and Billy Ho. 
two of yeah. the most staunch supporters of the PGA Tour during this battle between Liv and the PGA to try and, I think, keep him on the PGA DP World Tour side of the fence. So that add that on top of the things that we talked about before. I think that's an interesting little caveat to what's been going on in the last week or so. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And there was something else that came up too. I saw it. I don't know if you sent it to me on Instagram or it popped up. Like Rory's comments about, you know, Piff and all of that. And like, I hope we can work together, blah, blah, blah. But I still don't like Liv. But he's never once like outlined like why he hates live and live golf so okay. much. Great segue because I was the one who sent you over those comments that he made on a podcast earlier in the week. Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing and kind of summarizing the comments, but his comments on live were in essence, they it's okay in other sports for the PIF to go in and buy a sports team because they're not trying to buy the sport and they're not trying to take over the sport. There's a spot for them. They can own the team. They can have some influence, but they're not going to get in essence out of control and try and take it over. I think they were part of the super league thing that they were trying to do with soccer that ended up getting squashed. But really when I look at the comments Rory, in essence, is saying, come to us, work together, and find a place within the current framework of golf's establishment, and we'll be able to work together. The way that I'm reading these comments is he's trying to protect his own investment in the golf league, the TGL, that's supposed to be starting in January of 24, because it's a very similar concept, building teams out, making golf fun doing something that's on prime time, music, lights, screens, all that sort of stuff, all the things that the live tour is doing. He's, they've been trying to launch it for two years, but live beat them to the punch with what they ended up getting off the ground. So that's why he's all butthurt about live. He's trying to protect his investment in what he's got going on. And the PGA is the biggest investor in that TGL. Right. So that, that's the reason he hates live is because they, beat him to the punch not that's because the, like, that's the only way that i can product, read into his comments yeah i mean then that's just him being a shitty loser yeah and it's it's a stupid vendetta that they've had out for norman for 20 years because he wanted to make the game global and create a framework where the best players in the world had an option they could play on their own tours, but also play on this traveling circus around the world and yeah. try and spread the game. Like I just, I don't get it. I guess I'm not ingrained enough in the old boys club, I guess. And I don't really care because I'd rather see the game expand and go to places that it's never gone to. That's kind of cool. Let's see some new courses. I Let's agree. I think the, it, the, it goes back to the, it goes back to the like they're private contractors, but you're going to control what a private contractor can do. And that was always Greg Norman's thing was like, we should be allowed to play in these other things. I just, the whole Rory thing, I, I knew I didn't, I didn't put two and two together about the TGL and that, but that makes complete sense. Like he's never once come out with like an actual reason why he didn't like Liv or, or why he had such a level of hatred for Liv. 
And now you put it that way, that makes complete sense because they beat him to the punch. Yeah, I had this thought about two months ago about him trying to protect the TGL, but I didn't put the other piece of it on where it was like, okay, teams. Yeah, Lib does that same thing. Okay, they're trying to make it fun and interesting and like consumable in a primetime window that's probably going to be an hour or two. Like all these things, I'm like, shit, Lib's doing that. That's why you're pissed off at right. them. That's why you drew such exactly. a hard line in the sand. Yeah, and and rather than like somehow work with them, you drew that line in the sand and then just decided that they were the worst thing ever. Yeah, and I'm like, look at some of the characters you have over on Liv's side. You got Phil DJ. You got arguably the best player in the world, or at least he was when he left, Cam Smith. Um, DeChambeau, who's polarizing. Kepka. Kepka. So you have all these guys. Why wouldn't you want to involve them in the TGL, which is outside of the PGA Tour, albeit they are the largest investor and their stakeholder in it? Like, that's a great way. And he keeps on saying, like, work within the framework and unify the game and all these the catchphrases. Well, exactly. And like, if you really want to do something to better the game, why not try and unify it with this TGL and bring these guys over? And again, like these are great guys to have on TV. Maybe not DJ because he looks like a dumb dumb half the time, but like some of those other guys are huge personalities that know how to market themselves as well as a team and a brand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, or he's just butthurt because they exactly. beat him to it. And that that's, all it is. I hate Liv. Why? Because they actually had the bankroll and put in place exactly what you were trying to do, but you took too long doing it. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm just like so enlightened now. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, it took me, it, it it took me so a long time. Sense. Yeah. It took me a long time to put the pieces together. And yesterday's comments, after I listened to it a couple of times, the light bulb finally went off and I'm like, this is how I tie it together. So yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that makes sense. And, and that's also why the PGA tour like hated live so much too, is because it was, they were the major investor in the TGL. Yep. They're going, we're trying something new over here, guys. Look at all this fun, exciting stuff that we're doing. We got tiger and Rory heading it up. We're going to do it in prime time. We're going to build out this facility. And, um, yeah, it's just to your point, it's taken too damn long to get this thing off the ground. Why couldn't you have just done it on a golf course with lights? You've done it before. Yeah. There's tons of night golf yeah. out there at great courses. Not enough, if you ask me. <laughs> I think there should be more night golfing. The harvest has some. Like you want to get like like there's a reason like top golf is such a big thing now. It's because you can do it at any time, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get more people involved. It's not like a during the day thing. You know, there should be more golf courses with lights on them. That's something we should put forth when we talk to Coop in a couple of weeks from Link's Dow. Um, I think you'll be excited to have a conversation with him to see where they 
see the future of the game being. Um, it's stripping away a lot of the establishment. It's moving the game forward into a more fun, inclusive direction. Um, so I think that's something that they should definitely be looking into as they start to expand the game and maybe purchase a U.S. course, something to bolt onto it. Definitely. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is something that some comments that Cam Smith had around live official world golf rankings um, and what the implications are going to be coming up because we also saw a couple of press releases in regards to the, what I term the umbrella tournaments that are going to bring kind of all the major tours together or all the major stars together for these elevated events that are above all the leagues. Um, That's supposed to be starting in 2025. Um, There's going to be, if I'm correct, 18 events for this, I believe. Um, And I'm hoping, and we haven't heard anything yet, that they have more than 10 events outside the U.S. in order to get more global engagement with this. Yeah, they should have three quarters of them. They should have... 14 of them outside of the U.S., 12 of them outside of the U.S. Yeah. I want to see some more. 15 of them, you know. I haven't really seen any South American courses, so I'm really intrigued, like, with what's going on down there. You get to see a lot of the other courses around the world, but not really too much there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see all the the U.S. ones, like, all the time, and you see, like, the main ones in Europe, but what about the rest of the world? Yeah. There's so Um, many options. Yeah, and I hope the PGA Tour doesn't pull it backwards. Like, we need 12 events in the U.S. in order to make sure that we hit our funding quotas and our sponsors. That's my hope. Um, But I didn't really frame that too well. Um, That kind of got sidetracked. But anyways, so that's going to kind of make things interesting from a golf ranking standpoint. Are these events going to be 72 holes? Are some of them going to be 54 what are they going to do from that standpoint? So where I was leading into are they going to be the, match play? Yeah. How are they setting these things up? Um, is it going to be teams? Are you going to have to have a team in your kind of local leagues? So your PGAs, your DPs that feed up into it? I don't know. Like there's still a lot to be worked out. I would love to see some of those things. And I think during the lull in October, we can kind of speculate on some of this stuff and build out what we would like to see. Um, but where I was yeah. going with the the points is I think two things it's going to affect because next year is an Olympic year. So without the golf ranking points, the guys on live are no longer going to be able to compete for their nations. If they aren't in the top two, I think some nations have three spots. Um, so what's that going to look like? So that's going to affect that for some of the guys who take pride in playing for their country. The other which is going to start kicking in, I'm sure next year is the majors. When some of those guys start dropping off, whether it be official world golf rankings, auto qualifying based upon wins um, or their standing with the tours, like what's going to happen coming up. So I'm assuming they're probably going to come out with something before the end of the year where they rework some of the golf rankings. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how the whole golf ranking system works but there's got to be a better way to do it when you've got a guy like cam smith he's still top five in the world top 10 maybe at worst 
And like, you can't, no one in their right mind is going to argue that yet. They're going to try and argue it based on like the official world golf rankings, but any actual golfer would be like, no, that guy is fucking dope. He's the best Australian player on earth. Yeah. Who is also going to be left out of the Olympics. So, although exactly. he could be high That's enough. That's kind of where I was going. Yeah. Considering right. Leishman's dropped all the way off with his move. Like, over do they bit. have like a, like a national tournament to make the team like tryouts? And they <laughs> might have to at that point. Here, we're just going to have an open tryout. Everybody with a two yeah. handicap can come out and try out for the team. But I mean, that's essentially how it works with all the, you know, all the other sports. Now, let me put a pause on this. Considering we're talking about the Olympics, the IOC, the ones who take envelopes, stuff full of cash, who are corrupt as hell. I don't really think that there's going to be many issues for some of these top players because if they really are their top players, they're probably just going to push them onto the team anyways. So I think it's a mute point, but it's yep. still something worth talking about. Seriously. I think it, it it's almost more, it'd be more difficult when you look at like the US team or the British team or something where you have so many more guys on all the tours. But when you look at like the Australian team using Cam Smith as an example, you've got what? Leishman, Cam Smith, Adam Scott, who else? Yeah, like yeah. some other guys that potentially are really good, but there's no way they're going to beat out one of those three. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some nations where it's going to be kind of clear cut. But again, to your point, you got like a guy like DJ, Bryson, Pat Reed. So you do have a couple of guys who are on live that could compete to yeah. be on that Olympic team that would definitely love that opportunity um, that will be left out. I'd also like to interrupt the, our regularly scheduled broadcast to point out to everyone that the Detroit Lions just beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and let's fucking go. They've started the season just one in a parade time. the game here. Oh, what timing, man. Let's go. What a way to start the season. Maybe my Browns can start the season one in oh on Sunday now. Yeah, maybe. maybe I don't want too many good things to happen. Well, you know, they were on the cusp for the last couple of years. Been saying it. Like, they're so close. They're so close. And, you know, in standard Lions fashion, they'll probably blow it for the rest of the year. But I'm going to take this win big time right now. Well, there's the seconds left. They're the first team to beat last year's Super Bowl champs, so that makes them the Super Bowl champs of week one. Exactly. Fuck yes. Let's go. Well, I think that's a good way to kind of wrap things up, and we'll finish on that high note. So best of luck at the tourney this weekend. Just try and put some rounds together. Like even... 76, 78. Don't lie. I'm not going to have any fun. I'm just going to grind it out the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here to play serious golf. Yeah, unless like it goes sideways early tomorrow, and then I'll just get on the the cocktail train and have a good weekend. Just remember, 
at that course, you missed every green on nine holes and you still shot even par. So it is out there for you. Oh, yeah. All All right, right, man. Best of luck. Good win tonight. Good combo. We'll chat next week.